0: I think that's your. I think that's your time up for your, for your SWOT analysis. I hope that was helpful. Um, it's it's weird this uh, supernatural stuff, isn't it? Because at one level, as Christians, it should be like real second nature to us. But um, somehow we've just kind of. I, I I think that um, you know, Protestant churches have been sometimes formed more by the. Um, by the Enlightenment than they have by the Reformation, you know, and and we, we uh, sometimes we've got way better at the reason thing than at the, than at the faith thing, and um, we have to be careful about that, don't we? Because if we're not careful, what that does is it means we get very good at managing our churches, at learning everything that's below us in the order of creation. Anything organizing, very good at that, you know, coming up with great uh, bits of teaching and so on. All that's good, but anything to do with the very thing that Jesus said we're supposed to pray every day, your will be done on earth as in heaven, it's like we don't really know much about it, you know. And and obviously that's not where the Lord wants us to be. It's clearly not biblically where we should be. We should be people who have got some measure of confidence operating in the spiritual realm as well as in the physical realm. And so that's hopefully where we're going. So I just want to talk a little bit more tonight about... um, about faith about that that tool that God's given us and how does it work and how, how can we use it and it's important as we go along to identify some of the kind of bad un- well the unhelpful teachings that have I, well I, I can't speak for you guys but it's certainly the tradition that I've come from that basically booked people in my tradition off so for example um one of the classic things in some of the some of the more charismatic traditions that for example would really go after praying for the sick so if someone gets sick I mean, most of us would probably say, well, we'll definitely pray for you. And they, you would pray, Lord, please make them better or maybe please guide the hands of the surgeon or, you know, please, you know, help them recover. I mean, most of us would pray for the sick in that way. But the traditions that would really go after it's okay, we're going to, you know, get on our knees, get around you, stand around you, keep praying and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're, most of us are aware of kind of dysfunctional teaching that can sometimes go with that stuff that then makes a step back. For example, that whole thing about, you pray for someone to get healed, and then they don't get healed. So then you tell them that it's because they haven't got enough faith. Yeah? So before you prayed, they were sick. After you prayed, they're sick, and they feel guilty. It's like, that really helps. Do, do, you know what I'm saying? And it's that kind of stuff, isn't it? And you kind of look at that, and you think, well, we can't be doing that. So what do we do? You know? And, um, and so I want, I want us to press into that a little bit. Um, but, but first of all, um, you know, when you're doing reason, when you're using the tool of reason, which we're more familiar with, you... Um, reason is actually built by having a you you have what they would call a supposition you have a basic thing that you hold to be true and then that's the kind of bedrock that you can stand on and then you you use logic to go from that basic thing to a different place you want to go to don't you so you know once you once you have a basic supposition that I'm I I was I was a high school chemistry teacher as a pastor so that's the area I know. Once you have a basic supposition that um, everything, every, everything that we can see is made up of tiny little atoms that, that connect together because they get attracted in different ways, then from that basic understanding, you can start to explain all sorts of things. Yeah? So you have a basic supposition, and then you can start to build out your understanding. That's how, that's how reason works. Yeah? And um, when you have people have debates... You know, you have these kind of really clever folks having their debates. One of, the, one of the things you do if you're trying to knock out the other person's argument is you, have, you go after their supposition. You say, well, your logic might be flawless, but it's based on something that's not true. So your whole argument falls apart. Do you, do you see what I mean? Well, in a similar way, faith has got something that it kind of builds on, I think. And, um, and I think what happens is that, that the first thing that happens is that God gives us a glimpse of something in the heavenly realm, just gives us some sort of insight into it. It could, it might be through scripture. It might be as you're hearing scripture, and you are just struck by um, something that goes beyond your experience of God. You know, um, an angel appears to Mary or to Zachariah or to Joseph in his dream, or to, I mean, there's angels appearing all over the place in the Bible, aren't there? And you read it, and you, and you know, sometimes maybe. Maybe there's a time where, for the first time, you read that and you actually see it, and you think, "Wow, well that's pretty cool. I wish you would let me um, see an angel sometime, God." Do, do you see what I mean? Or it's just something like that where Scripture maybe just you just get a little a little taste of what could be, and you you realise there's a gap between your experience and what the Bible says. Um, or it might be testimony. It might be somebody else gives a testimony of something. And they talk about how God's provided for them. You know, they, they needed a job. They, were, they didn't get one. It was really hard. They were praying and asking God for breakthrough. And then God supernaturally gave them breakthrough. And you think, wow, well, if God did that for you, maybe he'll do that for me. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Are you guys, do you, have you experienced that in your own life at some point? It actually says in Revelation 19, it says um, that um, prophecy... Uh, the, the testimony of the saints is the, the sorry. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, which is a very weird kind of esoteric phrase. The the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I don't know whether this is right, but I've wondered whether what that means is that when you when you when you give a testimony of something God's done in your life, you're partly prophesying it into the lives of other people. Does that make sense? It's like it, it makes what God's doing in your life begin to become contagious, so that other Christians can get it too. It's one of the reasons why it's important that we have a culture in our churches where we sometimes have opportunities for people to give testimony to what God's been doing, isn't it? It raises the faith level. Everybody starts to get a bit more faith. So, um, just on the on that on that next slide there, if we can get that, um, walking out faith. So, um, yeah, we're going f- f- to slide three. That's great. So, so when these new possibilities enter our mind from heaven i think the word the bible gives that is hope yeah it's hope isn't it we we begin to have this sense in our heart there's something more and we can kind of we're not at it we we don't we haven't received it but we we can see it and so there's that hope there and then there's a there's a point where that that hope um that we've been kind of looking at from a distance that that new possibility from heaven we begin to walk towards it, and we begin to step out towards it, and we begin to orientate our lives towards it and and gradually we 're moving from hope towards faith yeah and um, and when we 're really in a place where we 've really taken hold of faith, probably those those new possibilities have actually become reality to us it 's actually yeah, we have a different level of expectation now i 'll give you an example um, uh, we we uh, considered ourselves my wife and I from when we got married we considered ourselves to be missionaries even though we're still in our hometown we'd had a conversation when we first on the first time we dated actually we didn't um, meet each other we didn't start dating until we were in our mid-20s and neither of us wanted to play the dating game anymore so we were like we're fairly full-on about saying if we're going to go there's no point in dating if there's no chance that we're ever going to get married so we had some quite serious conversations quite early on and one of them was I said look I know I'm a school teacher right now, but I know that God's called me to be a pastor. Could you cope with that? And she said yes. And she said, God's called me to be a missionary and maybe to go overseas. Could you cope with that? And I was like, yes. So we're like, okay, we're good. That's conversation one done. At least, at least now we can see we can keep going forward. Um, but Ellie was really, she was really full-on missionary in her kind of um, early uh, young adult years. Um, she uh, took a year out after college. And she, um, with Campus Crusade, she uh, did a year with them working into Russia. That was at the time where all the Iron Curtain was coming down. And and uh, she learnt Russian while she was at college. She was doing a music major, but she just learned it because she knew, she wanted to be a missionary. And they were smuggling Bibles into Russia, you know, Brother Andrew style. Have you read that? Have you read that um, God Smuggler? Yeah, it's a great, great Christian classic. And she just really, really enjoyed it. It's when McDonald's had only just opened in Moscow, and they used to, joy, they used to join the line for McDonald's, which took about three hours. And because they were wearing Western clothes, people would always want to talk to them. And they'd do evangelism while they were in the la- line for McDonald's. And they'd almost always bring people to, to Christ in the line. And then, you know, as a celebration when they got there, they'd buy them, because the, for a Russian, it was like like three months' pay to buy a Big Mac, you know. So it was a celebration that they'd come to faith. When they got to the line, they'd say, let us buy your McDonald's for you. So um, that was fun. And they, they were doing all this stuff. But then a few years later, um, you know, we'd got married. And I'd become, I became, in the end, became the senior pastor of the church. And for the first time in our lives, we were financially pretty comfortable. We were in a nice suburban setting. Um, and um, and uh, Ellie was looking out the window at the backyard and thought, oh, I need to cut the lawn. And she noticed that our completely non-Christian but very nice neighbour was out cutting his grass. And she suddenly had this little crisis and she thought, well, how am I different from the guy next door who doesn't even know the Lord? And she was just thinking, I I haven't signed up for a comfortable suburban life. I've signed up to be a missionary. And so when I came back from work, she said this stuff to me. And the Lord had been working on me too and I'd been thinking about these things. And so we said, well, look, let's, let's just have a season where we do what we would have done if we'd gone to Russia with the team at the time. Ellie had signed up to go to be a career missionary in Russia with a a Campus Crusade team. And then at the last minute, it had been really clear that God had told her. She'd lost all her peace. She felt God was telling her not to go. So she came back to Sheffield. She'd left Sheffield at that time where she was at college. And um, she came back. And um, that's when we met each other. So I was really glad that God told her not to go because we wouldn't, wouldn't have seen each other. But... That was there in her blood, you know. And um, so, we, so we said, well, if you'd, if you'd gone to Russia with the team, what would you have done? And she said, well, we would have all lived in one shared accommodation to start with. Because um, some of us had jobs right from the get-go and others didn't, um, hadn't, wouldn't be paid for a while. We would have been living by faith. We would have been you know, trusting the Lord to provide what we needed. Um, and then gradually, as we got sorted out, we probably would have moved into different houses and things. So we said, um, okay, well, let's, let's just do a little thing to remind ourselves that we're missionaries. Let's do that. So we asked some friends. Um, we, we, I was just about to move into a, a larger church house. And um, so we're going to move into the house. Would you like to move in with us just for, say, a year? And we're going to do this thing where we're just, being, we're just reminding ourselves that we're missionaries. And it was a, another couple. We had two young children, another couple with their young child, and then two other single friends of ours as well all moved in to a five-bedroom house so there were nine of us in a five-bedroom house with a single bathroom it was a bit squashed um so all the kids were in one room um which wasn't ideal because our children had just got to the stage where they were sleeping through the night and their kid was waking up and so he'd wake our kids up and then our kids would keep him awake it was a nightmare and um and we hit all the control issues because you know who's in charge of the house and You've had a busy day, you come home and someone else is watching something you don't want to watch on TV and all that stuff. And it was actually quite hard. Ellie cried every day for six months when we were separately in our bedroom, which was the only place that we could get any privacy. And um, it was really tough. And then the other thing that we did was all of us, um, all, all of the people living together, we, we gave all of our money away for six months. So the money that we'd been given, we, that we got paid, we just wrote a, che- a check straight back to the church for the same amount. We had no money for anything, for food or anything. And the the point was that we wanted to be radically dependent on the Lord for a season. And the, th- the 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 reason that we had was Jesus said, if you seek first the King, His kingdom and His righteousness, everything else that you need will be given to you. And it wasn't that we weren't working or we we're being lazy. We were earning our money, but then in, in giving it away, we we might have been wrong. It might have been stupid or foolish, but I, th- I think I don't think you could argue we weren't seeking the kingdom first. So even if we got it wrong, the promise is, if you seek the kingdom first, I'm going to provide. And our logic was, either that's not true, in which case, why are we Christians? Or it is true, in which case, why are we worried? Yeah? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And actually, those six months were excruciatingly difficult. They were really hard. Because God did actually provide everything that we need, but it was always just after the last moment, I mean it was like we, the, n- the number of times that all of the adults had to gather in the front room and we were just praying lord we 've got a bill we 've got the last demand for a, for our gas bill or our electricity bill or whatever it is, and we have to pay it, it has to be paid tomorrow. We have no money, you have to come through for us otherwise we 're going to have to stop doing this and, uh, and then, in some miraculous way, the money would come and um, and, and it was a process of, um, it was a process of, of learning and uh, Sometimes all sorts of things would happen. Um, one time, we, in England, all the cars are manual transmission, pretty much. And um, our car, the clutch went in our car. And that's like a $500 repair. I had no money. So what, one of the things we'd said was, if, if, this, if this is true, if God really does come through for, for us, we have to act. It's got to be as good as cash. So we're just going to act as if we've got the money and trust that God will provide. So I put my car in to the auto place um and then they called to say they'd fixed it and it was going to be 300 pounds that's 500 dollars so at that point i'm sweating because i've got i haven't got like a penny i've got nothing and um and someone was staying with us at the time and uh, he said oh um i'll take you down to pick your car up and i said oh great thanks <laughs> so we so we sit in his sit in his car it's only five minutes to the auto place where they, they'd fixed the, the car and um I'm, I tell you what, you don't. You, you you really you really really pray when you're doing this kind of thing. You just pray all the time. You know, Paul says pray without ceasing, um, and that's difficult to do. It's not difficult to do when you're under this much stress. You just pray without ceasing, and usually it's just help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. You know, again and again. So I'm praying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. And um, and we're about to go, and then the guy who's taking me just gave this sigh, put his hands on the steering wheel, and said, Hey, Paul, if it's all right with you, I want to pay for this repair. I said, I beg your pardon. <laughs> He said, well, we gave this money to a charity, and um, it was for a particular thing. In England, um, if a charity has an appeal for a particular uh, thing, they can only use any money that comes in for that. It's called ring fencing, and it's it's a law in the UK. So we'd given money to this charity for this appeal, but they'd had all the money they needed, so they sent the money back to us. But we think that's God's money, not our money. And so I've been asking God, what should we do? And I feel like I should pay for your repair. So I got in that car, and five minutes later, when we got to the auto place, it was paid. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that's one story out of about, you know, I don't know, 500 stories during a six-month period. We didn't miss a single meal or a single bill. And one of the guys who came into that process with us came in with 6,000 pounds. What's that? Eight or $9,000 worth of business debt. And at the end of the six months, it had all cleared. So it was an amazing time. It was really, it was really incredible. But that, it was, a, it was a difficult time for us. It was an experience of being on the cross. You know, there's, there's three places you can be as a Christian in any individual area of your life. You can be pre-cross, which means you honour God, you thank God, you, you look to God, but you basically do it your way. Yeah? So, you know, buying a house. Lord, please help us to get a nice house. And I'm looking for a house that is nice, um, big, um, has got the, in the right kind of neighborhood, suits us and makes us feel nice. Yeah? Lord, please help us get that house. Yeah? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. God, our Father in heaven, loves to give us good gifts. Of course he wants to give, give that to you. He loves you. It's no problem. Yeah. But it's, I would say that's a pre-cross approach to a house. Yeah? On the cross is, Lord, we're giving up our rights to have what we want in our house. We're going to do it your way, and we're going to do whatever you ask us to do. And um, we're saying that, but we don't like it, and it's just really, really hard. Yeah. And then, it, the house that we do end up getting is not the house we want, and we've just got to kind of, you know, we're going to trust you anyway. It's just really painful. Being on the cross in any particular area of your life can take anything from hours to days to weeks to months to years that you're still on the cross. You're not dead yet, but you're writhing in agony, and really you... <laughs> Really, you'd like to get off, yeah, yeah, but, and here's where the faith thing comes in. There is another stage, and it is after the cross, and after the cross is where you start to see the resurrection power of God working in your life. And in the housing situation, it would be this: we don't care about our house one jot. We're content and happy whichever house we're in, and. God can give us a small house, a big house, a nice house, a nasty house. It doesn't matter because the house is just a vehicle to serve the mission that God's given us, and we're going to reach out to the people around us. The weird thing is, people who get to that stage often end up with awesome houses, but sometimes they don't. But they don't care either way. Do you see what I'm saying? So for us with money, that experience I just talked to you about—that was the cross. We cry. Ellie was crying every day. It was horrendous. We're sweating. We're praying. Lord, please give us the money. Please help us. Um, it came to an end. We felt like the Lord was showing us, was convicting us that we needed to do it. We'd started in the summer through till Christmas. We did Christmas that way. And then after Christmas, we felt we could start to draw our salaries again. And we felt we'd learned a lot. We reflected on it. I, I preached a sermon at church. The, the giving at church was pretty low. People were pre-cross on, the, on finances in our church. And I preached a uh, um, seven-week series on, on faith and generosity where I basically t- we hadn't told the church what we'd done I told them in the, uh, now, now that we'd finished I told them what we'd just done for the last six months and told them all the stories it took about seven weeks and at the end of that the following month giving in the church went up by 90% 90% now to me that feels like resurrection power now it, it did drop back down again but when it leveled out it was still 25% up on the year before Yeah, because, because my faith as I shared my faith and my testimony, it became hope for other people. New possibilities entered their mind from heaven, do you see? And then some of them started pursuing that hope and, get, and beginning to walk it out and stepping out. Faith requires you to step out, doesn't it? Jesus said in Mark 1.14, repent and believe. The word in Greek, believe, pisteo, means step out in faith. You're stepping out. So they started to take little risks and step out, and, and gradually they began to find that... Um, that God will come through for them. So, that's the background. Now, I would say in that one area, I've got I've I've got tons and tons of areas of my life that are pre-cross, and a few that are on the cross, and a very small number that are post-cross. I don't, it, you may be different from that, but that's my experience. But one, one little area that has gone through that process is the area of, of money and income. Um, we we did that, and we've done a few other things over the years. And Ellie and I, we are talking about this this week actually, both of us now have just a a consistent um, peace about money and a complete faith, a real trust that the Lord will just provide whatever we need. Since I've been in the US, I get paid a day and a half a week by Grace Gathering Church that I'm at, and another church pays me a little bit just to, I do some consultation with them, and I get paid a little bit now, just in the last six months from um, 3DM, but um, the rest of my income I've just had to earn. Just go around and, and some of it we uh, people have supported us a bit like missionaries the rest of it has me, me, been me doing, going and doing talks and workshops and so on and um, halfway through last year um, Grace Gathering pay me but I have to fill the pot that they pay me from if that makes sense, that's how it works with the visa and um, Chris Norman the pastor came to me and he said Paul we've been covering it but basically you're 25 grand down on what you need And um, we we can't keep covering it, you know, as a church. So he said, basically, you're just going to have to go out and just book yourself up completely and just get on the road and just do anything that you can. And I prayed about it, and I felt like that's not really why God called me here. I'm called here to operate strategically. And I said to Chris, Chris, if I'm going to do that, I'd be better off going back to the UK. I know way more people in the UK. I could earn much more money. I hardly know anybody in the US. I've got to believe that if I seek first the kingdom, that he will provide everything that, that I need. So I'm going to carry on working. Half the churches I was working with couldn't afford to pay me anything. I'm just going to carry on doing what God's told me to do. And Chris said, well, that's fine, Paul, but let's pray about it for one more week. But basically, you can can take that approach, but we've still got to get the money, you know. So um, we had that conversation. The following day, a business guy um, from England that I hadn't talked to for every year gave a one-off gift to Grace Gathering for $30,000. And he said, 25,000 is for Paul's support and 5,000 is for the church just to bless the church. And because it came to the church, I didn't even know it had happened. So the next time I'm in the office and Chris comes in and he says, you know that conversation we had yesterday? I went, yeah. He said, forget about it. It doesn't matter. Do what you want. Do what you want. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? But, but that experience, the, in, the thing that shows me that I've gone through the cross in that one area of my life is I wasn't even worried when we had the conversation because I'd got to a level of confidence in that one area, I'd moved from hope to faith. Now that that particular one area of my life is just reality. The old-time Pentecostals, when they taught this stuff, used to call it the position of faith. They used to talk about the difference between a gift of faith and the position of faith. We could all have a gift of faith. We're just out of the blue at some point. We just have faith or something. But there's also a gruelling process of embracing the cross you can go through, where the other side, you now have a position of faith. And what's going on is... You're, you're walking according to the rules of the heavenly realm, not the rules of the earthly realm. The earthly realm, 25 grand does, doesn't just appear overnight. That's not one of the rules. In the heavenly realm, your father, if you seek first the kingdom, your father provides what you need. Do, do you see the picture? So, um, and, and Hebrews 11.1, um, 1, of course, says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you, hope, you, you have this hope from heaven, and faith is the substance. And Paul talks about how we, how we get, begin to get that faith um, in Romans 10.17, just on the next slide. He says, um, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And it's quite interesting, if you dig into the Greek there, um, the word used for message is rhema, and it means the specific message that's given directly to you, that's tailored to you. And the word used for the word of Christ is logos, which means scripture. It's also sometimes used for the person of Jesus. It's the general word of God. So here's the picture. God's given us this, this gift of this thing called faith, which enables us to engage with the heavenly realm. And the way it works is that you get hope, and a new possibility enters your heart, and then you're expected to kind of step into it. And... Um, and according to Paul, the way that the hope comes, really, is, is that you – the way that faith is born in you is that you, you hear a specific message from Jesus through the word of God, through the general word of God. So for me, you know, I can, I can actually say, what well, that was with that money thing when we did that house. Um, it was um, – I read, seek first my, uh, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. And the word that really stuck out to me was seek. And when I thought about it, what I felt that the Lord was probably saying to me was, you don't have to find it, you only have to seek it. I'm not looking for accuracy. I'm only looking for motive. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong. I've still got your back. Do you see that? So that's a word for all of us, seek first the kingdom. But as we began to step out on the word, there was a specific message to me and it began to become faith. And so that was then something we could step out on in Mark 1 15 Jesus says the time is now the kingdom of Kairos the time is now the kingdom of God is near repent change the way that you think and step out and believe step out in faith so we stepped out in faith do you see that so that's that that's a little bit the background and um, we're kind of coming to time now so we're going to need to finish but um, I, I think I just want to finish on this um, clearly biblically what, what's the limit and what we can do here what's the limit? Um, but in the Bible, on how much of heaven we can expect to come to earth this side of glory. Well, there are a few limits, aren't there? Like we're going to die at some point. I mean, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but presumably he still died again at some point. So we've all got a day, haven't we? I mean, Psalm 139. We've all got a day when we're going to go home. So that, you know, that's pro- unless you're Elijah or Enoch, you're probably not going to go up in a chariot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on with those two, but I mean, you know. There's an awful lot of people, and there's only two that that ever happened to. So we're going to die at some point. Um, what are the limits? Well, um, Jesus is at, is actually really scarily pushy on this. I mean, John 14, 12 to 14, just on the next slide, he says this. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me. So is this just being addressed to the to the apostles? No. Who's it addressed to? Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So there's a little guide. Have a look in the Bible. Look at the things that Jesus did. He'd like you to do those things. It'd be useful for the packed lunches for the kids, wouldn't it? If you could just (laughs) crack open a can of sardines and, you know, feed the whole school. Um, He will do even greater things than these. So it's not even limited by the things Jesus did. He will do even greater things than these. And, and remember, if you think about Peter, Peter on Pentecost spoke a sermon and 3,000 people came to faith in one day. That never happened in Jesus' ministry like that. And then in Acts 5, he was walking around and people were putting their sick out on the street so his shadow would fall on them so that they would get healed. That didn't ever happen under under Jesus' direct ministry either. I mean, it's crazy stuff, isn't it? So, um He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Um, I will do one or two things that you ask in my name if you're lucky. No, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And that, I don't know about you, but for me having grown up in a conservative kind of Baptist church, that's an incredibly stretching passage. It's like, it's crazy. And the only problem is it's Jesus saying it, so you can't get away with saying that. I mean this is God incarnate this is jesus he's He's the one who says these things so here's my thing I don't think that God is the one that puts the limits on. I think we are yeah, I think we put the limits on and um and uh and I think that what happens is that um when we start to step out, we start to encounter and we'll talk more about this I'll just introduce this, but i won't talk i won't teach you on it now because we're going to finish but we'll talk a bit more about this tomorrow. We begin to encounter what Paul calls strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10 he says that um our, our the spiritual war that we're involved in requires us to pull down strongholds. And he's he's referring to the he, the Old Testament picture of the people of Israel coming into Canaan. Do you remember God said to them I give you the land of Canaan it's a land flowing with milk and honey. So if God gives you something it belongs to you, doesn't it? So they're coming into Canaan, it already belongs to them, the whole land belongs to them, but as soon as they come in, they find all these walled cities with huge soldiers in them, much tougher than them, strongholds. And Paul says that, that as, as we try to take spiritual ground, that the enemy builds strongholds in our mind, made of arguments and pretensions that are designed to stop us at getting at the deeper things of God. That's 2 Corinthians 10 if you want to look at it yourselves, okay? So he's using a reference back as a picture, he's using a word picture of the Old Testament. So they already owned the whole land, but they had to fight to occupy what they owned. They had to fight to occupy what they owned. I believe that's what we have to do. I I believe actually, I I don't think you have to go crazy or weird or any of those things. I don't think you need one guy in a white suit up the front or any of that stuff. I think you can be grounded, ordinary.